We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking upside and the proper way to think about it on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at Rotoviz. I am taking an episode here to do a solo podcast on a topic that I talk about a lot, but I thought deserved a bit of a complete deep dive into it all by itself. So we're going to get Curtis back in an interesting way later in the week, but it's just going to be me and you uh, for this episode. And I am not even going to hit the sound effect. We're just going to pop right in. So upside, we know that it's super important, but I'm not sure that it's always being presented in the right format or in the right context. I apologize if you've listened to the podcast for a number of years now and you've heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but I do think that it's worth getting in the forefront of your mind as you head into 2021 drafts, which were already in August. So you are likely going to be in a home league draft in maybe just a couple of weeks, maybe even a week. I have my first league with friends uh, or my first live draft actually in a couple of years now coming up over the weekend. So I'm preparing for that. And when I'm drafting my team, yeah, I am looking for upside players. You, in, in my opinion, and I've began to embrace this more and more over the years, you just want to get as much upside into your roster as possible. I focus less and less on floor I focus less and less on safety. Now, that's not to say that in your first couple of rounds, you don't want to have some level of safety, but you're trying to balance your risk and your reward. Now, often with players in the first couple of rounds, these are guys that don't have too much downside, but you can be smart about the guys that you select. But that's not really what I want to get into. What I want to talk about now is the way that you should be thinking about upside and what upside really is. So, as always, when we talk about upside, we reference something like the weekly GLSP projections or the range of outcomes tool. The reason that the range of outcomes tool is such a good way to contextualize this is that it draws for you a distribution of the points per game that a player could reasonably be estimated to score in a coming season. So, what is the distribution? 
Well, a distribution is basically a way to conceptualize the potential outcomes that a player has in a given season. And that information is presented in a way that allows you to see which outcomes are most likely. So you generally represent this with a histogram, which is a chart that groups values into ranges represented by bars. So eight to 10 points, uh, 11 to 12, 13 to 14. And you're drawing these bars in order and each bar is going to have a height that represents the number of counts in that grouping said differently. If we're charting uh, Dalvin Cook, right? And 10 of his matches are expected or, you know, 10 of his 100 outcomes are expected to be at the 10 point per game level. You'd have a bar at 10 points per game that goes up 10. And if you think that 15 of his 100 simulated seasons, let's say, are going to land at 11, then the bar for 11 would be up 15. Um, so again, basically you're just picturing groups of values represented the bars. The height of a bar shows a number of values that fall into that range. That's how we're, we're visualizing this distribution. Okay. So the reason that this is helpful is you can take, maybe you think about 20 different subjective sets of projections and where the player lands in those and visualize your distribution off of that. Maybe you get a tool like the range of outcomes tool that lets you visualize it, or you simply just sit down and say to yourself, with all of the information that I've gathered this year from listening to podcasts, from reading articles, from using tools, I think that maybe in about 20% of outcomes, we see a random player, Brandon Ayuk, scoring 12 points, right? And I think that maybe, you know, he struggles and scores like eight to nine points in about 15% outcomes. And you start to plot that out. The upside, and it's often presented this way for that player, isn't their max points scored, right? Uh, in my opinion, because lots of times when we're talking about a player's upside and you hear people talk about their high end outcome you are assuming that everything goes right for that player that season. And the reason that you can't think about upside like that is because you're thinking about 250, 300 players heading into the season. Only a couple of those players are ever going to realize their max upside. So to say that Chase Claypool's max upside is 22 points or something like that in 2021 is probably misleading could i see scenarios where chase claypool scores 22 points per game sure uh but is that likely to happen no not at all so in my mind if i simulate 100 chase claypool seasons he hits that 22 maybe in one two three out of 100 outcomes so that's you know roughly three percent of the time and let's say that most players hit their max end outcome around 3% of the time. What are the odds that when you're drafting your team, you manage to hit on the maybe nine or so 
let's say, players that actually realize their max upside. Um, I don't think that's the greatest strategy to hit upon. Obviously, I love upside and the concept of it. But what I'm viewing as Chase Claypool's upside would be, and I'm going to use him as the example here because you can go into the range of outcomes tool and you can pull him up and you can get a sense of what I'm talking about. I see that, yeah, like his highest match hit over 20. Um, Actually, I'll pull it up right here and tell you exactly what it was. So he does get matched to a Brandon Marshall season from 2015 where Brandon Marshall scored 21.4 points. So that actually kind of matches up with the area that I intuitively viewed as Claypool's ceiling. Uh, But if you look, then you have Des Bryant at 19, uh, Calvin Ridley season in around 19, Randall Cobb around 18.7, and AJ Green at 18.5. You can see that even in that set, that 22 or that 21.4 doesn't repeat often. So it's not really an outcome that you should expect to happen. So I would say the upside really as I'm looking through his distribution would be somewhere where he's actually coming out like a 17 to 19 point type of season. And he has in that area one, two, around like six players going between 17 and 18 and a half points per game. So to me, that's what I'm viewing as his upside. Now, obviously, when you're also or when you're viewing upside, um, you know, you could talk about the tails of that distribution and the left tail. So you can see that Claypool has a decent chance of being what I think some would consider a bust. I mean, about yeah, eight of his matches uh, scored around like the eight to ten mark. And he actually even had um, let me give you an exact count here. He actually had six players that went under uh, eight points, 12 players that went under 10. Now, that's not terrible, but that's just to give you an idea of his low-end range of outcomes. But where this all comes to be really important and to drive it home, I used this example in an article last year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Uh, if you made it a table where you looked at Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette heading into last season, and I'll use the range of outcomes output, uh, Dalvin Cook's average PPR from his matches was 17.3. Leonard Fournette's was 16. The 25th percentile for Dalvin Cook was 14.2. Leonard Fournette, it was 11.9. 50th percentile, Dalvin Cook, 17.5. Leonard Fournette, 16.8. And then 75th percentile, Dalvin Cook, 19.6. And Leonard Fournette, 19.8. So if you looked at that table or you thought about their range of outcomes that way, you would think that they're fairly similar. The only difference being that maybe Cook has a slightly better slightly better floor. But obviously, when we're thinking about upside, the floor doesn't really matter so much. But while most players' matches are heavily concentrated around 17 to 20 points per game, Cook had more matches falling into that bucket. And actually, uh, Cook's matches scored more than 15 points per game at a much higher rate because 70% of his matches did where only 56% of cooks did. And I think that that's really important and drives home the point here, because if you're just looking at the outcomes, if you're just looking at one value that you're setting as a player's max, you're missing a lot of what's important there. So that 14% difference really shows that there's a lot more upside for Cook uh, because that's in a realistic area when you have, or when you looked at his distribution there and you can see that you have, you know, over, I forget exactly what it is, but like for a player, maybe you have over 40% of their matches going over the 15 mark. I would say that there's a lot of upside where sometimes you look at another player and yeah, they do get a couple of matches over there, but if they're most heavily concentrated around 12, it's hard for me to say that that player has more upside, even if there's one or two scenarios where they score maybe 23, 24 points and the player that's more heavily concentrated above 15 only has a hand, you know, maybe like one match that's going over 20 points. So I think that that is really, really important and a lot of this goes back to that if you're doing subjective projections uh even if you're trying to be pessimistic on those a lot of it still is a pretty optimistic projection because it's hard to really build in those black swan events it's hard to build in injuries things that are going to happen that are very different than your expectations to encapsulate those in projections is very hard um, and of course, one of the goals of projections is to just create this overly simplistic picture of what a reasonable or good scenario for a player might look like. Uh, but I think in this case, like a binary or even ternary view can cause us to think about upside or downside incorrectly. Um, 
So I hope that that takes you through understanding why I'm saying that we're often thinking about upside incorrectly. Uh, if you want to be able to assign like a number to this, if you're looking at the range of outcomes tool, I have something called historical distribution scores that are essentially encapsulating a player's distribution into one number that I've tried to scale so that it's focusing more on the high point totals to give players that what I have or, or what actually, you know, really what anybody would consider to be upside to give them more waiting to those type of outcomes. Um, but that's the way to think about it. But uh, I bring this up because if you do go look at the historical distribution scores, know that they're looking at the full distribution. So if you're going for purely upside, that might not be the exact way to approach it. Um, but let me kind of wrap this up with some takeaways. I'm actually going to read these to you off of that article that I wrote, wrote last year. So most likely low and high end outcomes are important when considering a player's range of outcomes for the coming season, but they can be misleading when chasing upside. They provide a context in which to, to consider a player and help us to get a sense of what is possible. However, possible and probable are not the same thing. That's probably the most important sentence for you to think about here. Um, the distribution of players' outcomes is more important than the overall range because it gives us a better sense of how likely it is that a player realizes her ceiling or floor. Um, so if you're looking at the distributions charted by the range of outcomes, you, yeah, like you're probably going to push back on some of those. And that's completely fine. That's completely fine, right? Like, I wouldn't argue that the app is able to handle handle every player in an optimal way. You know, there's a lot of variables that can impact things from the last season. There's things about the upcoming season that they just don't know. Um, but again, like, it's just something to help ground you and give you realistic expectations. And I think it really works for the overwhelming majority of players. And I'm bringing up in this discussion, not that I think that. Not to say that that's the only way you can look at, you know, upside or distributions, but to help you get the context of it. All right. We don't want to just chase upside at the extreme. We want to position ourselves to draft as many players with distributions concentrated in upside zones as possible. So like, what do I mean by an upside zone? Again, that's where you find that players like high or like dense concentration at their highest point. So let me pull up a different player that you can pop open in the range of outcomes app later um like let's take uh aj brown so like aj brown does have some matches going over 20 points but actually his highest distribution or his yeah the, and the densest part of his distribution comes probably around like 18 and a half points per game so i would say that when you realize if you're looking at this chart that though um, there are values above and below it, and it is the densest point, like given where it falls. And this is actually interesting because this is actually a bimodal distribution here, um, meaning that you could almost see that like it falls into two separate pieces. Um, I think that I would say his upside, like to me, his upside zone is probably somewhere centered around that 18 and a half. Um, let me find a different example though. Because they don't always all fall like that. Um, I find an easy one here that makes sense. Okay, like DJ Moore. Um, his, that's just part of his distribution comes 
between probably what's going to be like uh, 11 and 13. Um, but we do see some decent pieces of his or some decent percentage of, of his um, distribution going between 15 and the 17 range. So I would say like for DJ Moore, if I'm looking at his chart, his upside really is probably somewhere around 16 to 17 points. I would not be looking at it as the tails, like his right tail that's going maybe to somewhere around like 22 and a half, 23 points per game. Um, so back to the other takeaways. Um, and I'm going to say it again. We don't want to chase upside at the extreme. We want to position ourselves to draft as many players with distributions concentrated in those upside zones as possible. I'd argue that player A with a single match that scored 20 points per game but 12 matches that scored 16 or more has more upside than player B was one match that scored 22, two that scored 20, but only six matches in total that scored more than 16. And that's because the odds of player A realizing his upside are much more favorable. Um, and then historical distribution scores are an efficient way to get a sense of how players have range to get a sense of how a player's range of outcomes is distributed in the coming season, but they're definitely not the final answer. They can't paint a full picture uh, when it comes to chasing upside. They, I do think that they can help us to get pointed in the right direction. So might just be a long winded way here of driving back a couple of key concepts, but I really think that a lot of people that I know that are very good fantasy players. This is something they're intuitively doing in their mind when they're considering upside and you don't have to have the tools or you don't have to go in and create a hundred set of projections yourself or actually think through, you know, like a hundred different scenarios. It's really just asking yourself when you're thinking about a player, what feels like a realistic probability for them to get close to their upside or i think that it's almost like in a very simplistic sense just thinking like what's a good season for this player versus like what's this player's high what's his floor what's his mid-range outcome um try to put percentages to where those things are falling and then percentage of time that you realistically think they can hit so I appreciate you sticking with me through this. Uh, definitely check out that article. Check out the range of outcomes tool. And then, you know, all of the other articles on the site. I, I'm sure there's a ton that will help you to better get a sense of some of the things I'm talking about in practical applications. Uh, but that does it for me. This evening, as always, we really appreciate it. If you could leave us a review uh, and hopefully five stars wherever you listen to podcasts, um, that definitely helps us out. Uh, make sure to give us a call too. shoot us an email and I will see you later in the week. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotovizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.